good to see everyone here tonight. We do have a number of our folks that are still traveling, and we encourage you to remember them. Uh, several people have gone on vacation due to the fall break, and a number have gone for the wedding that was in Florida. And uh, so we've got a number of folks out, but we do have visitors with us, and we want you to know that we appreciate your being with us tonight, and we want to encourage you to study together with us from God's Word. We began a series of lessons back at the end of the summer that was entitled Favorite Bible Passages. And we looked at a number of passages as we have gone through these, and some of them may have been your favorite, others you may not have thought would have been one of your favorites. And I know for some of you tonight, you may think, why would he choose a passage that talks about the death of a child as being one of the favorite passages? But I suggest to you that what David said in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, certainly has some great encouragement in it if you'll simply listen to the passage. Death is difficult in about every instance for those of us who survive. Some of you I know recently have lost people who were close to you. You may have lost a parent, may have lost a grandparent, may have lost a brother or sister, but in every instance it's always difficult because we're left here while they go on. Solomon put it like this in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 5, For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the street. We mourn the passing of those that we love, even if we know they're faithful Christians, even if they have lived a long life. We look back with longing at the good times, the joyous times, and we wish that we could recall them. But losing a child is especially difficult. I can remember at least three occasions since I've been preaching that I've gotten a call to come and preach a funeral for a child. And I'm going to tell you, there have been a couple that I know of that were stillborn children, and some people may say, well, the parents never had a chance to get attached. Oh, that just misses so much of that emotional attachment that a mother has, especially with that child. But I can remember very vividly a little young girl about two years of age that was killed in what I would call a minor car accident. She came out of her car seat, hit her forehead on the dash of the vehicle, and you couldn't tell from the physical outside that she'd ever had any physical damage, but it took her life. I know until the day of her daddy's death that that haunted him. And I know that parents suffer tremendous grief when they lose a child. And such is the case here. And yet at the same time, there's a positive message in what David, who was a prophet of God, said in this instance. Let's go through this. I want to look at the details of background. You have to understand why all of this happened to fully appreciate it. Number two, I want us to talk about dealing with the decease of a loved one. 
Because that is something that you and I all are going to have to do. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment, Hebrews 9 and verse 27. And then finally, to briefly look at death in the Bible as it affects us. I want you to go back and listen carefully as what David said in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 23. But now he, that is the child, is dead. Why should I fast? David had been fasting. Can I bring him back again? Obvious answer is no. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. There's a hope of a reunion. Let's begin, first of all, with the background. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to pick up with verse 2 and we'll read through verse 5. And we'll see why this child was conceived. It began with a very sordid affair. And we read it happened one evening that as David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. David sought to cover up his sin. Perhaps he thought when he committed this sin that somehow he could not be discovered because he was the king. But there was a child on the way. Here Bathsheba has a child and her husband is not here. Her husband is off and he is doing the job of fighting in David's army. How will David cover up this incident? His thought in his mind was, I need to bring Uriah home. I need to send Uriah to his wife and maybe they'll think or he will think that this is his child. Look at what he says here. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 8 and 9. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord and did not go down to his house. David was a little bit perturbed by that, but Uriah answered like the loyal man he was, why should I go down to my house and eat in my house and enjoy the company of my wife when the servants of my Lord are here? And so he did not go. Since that was unsuccessful, David tried a second tactic. In 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 13, he tried to get him drunk to where he would do something that was different than what he had, would have done while he was sober. 
Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him. And he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. He tried to get him to go and do so with the offer of something good. That didn't work, so he got him drunk. So now what is he going to do? He's going to kill him. And it's so despicable the way that David does this. As you read verses 14 and 15, it happened in the morning that as David wrote a letter to Joab, now listen carefully, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. David ordered the execution of Uriah. And he made Uriah take the note himself to Joab. And of course you know what happened. Joab put him at the front of the battle. They retreated from him. And he died there as a valiant soldier of David. But that's not where all David is going to stop. Because if you will notice verses 26 and 27, David quickly marries Bathsheba the widow, and in doing so would allow people to think perhaps that she had conceived the child in their marriage. Here's what the text says. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You have to see the big picture, the background of all of this, to realize where this child came from and how David committed such great sin in doing this then God wants David to understand the hurt he has inflicted. God sent Nathan. He's going to tell David, these are the things that you need to understand from God. And so he begins in verse 1 of chapter 12. And this is a very colorful way for David to see his sin. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he brought up and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food, drank of his own cup, and lay upon his bosom was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, and who refused to take from his own flock, from his own herd, to prepare for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb 
because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. It's you, David. Don't you realize what you have done in taking Uriah the Hittite, this good man, this honest man, that you took his wife and you have committed sin with her? But that's not all. God wanted David to understand how ungrateful he had been for the blessings he'd given him even before that. He begins to explain in verse 7, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of your Lord, or of the Lord, to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. David, do you realize what you have done? David now understands. No, he doesn't. He doesn't fully appreciate it yet. God forgave David, but the wages of sin still had to be paid. David did not die, but someone has to die. And it's going to be David's child. And I think that David probably could have wished himself. Why didn't I die instead of this child? Why is my sin put on this? When you read the Psalms and you read the heartbroken words of David, you see a man who recognizes the gravity of his sin. Listen to verses 13 through 15. So Dathan said... David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. And then Nathan departed to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, And it became ill. You can see the punishment that is involved here. And David grieved over this child. While this child is sick, David is going through a tremendous amount of grief and sorrow. Verses 16 through 19 are some very sad words. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of the house rose up and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor would he eat food with them. And then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. 
For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. Well, that's a background that really gives you some appreciation of verse 23. Verse 19, when David saw that the servants were whispering, David perceived the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. Which is going to bring us to dealing with it. The servants didn't know how David was going to handle that news. He had shown himself to be deep in sorrow and in grief. What would he do? Would he take his own life? Would he go on such a fast that he never ate again? Would he drive himself mad mentally? You see, there's a lot of ways that people deal with things. But David's response surprised him. And it reflects a man who understands God... He understands what he has done. He's got a penitent heart. And he says, now I've got to make some changes in my life. Notice carefully what the text records. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he went to the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house And when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then the servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept while the child was alive. But now when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, When the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell where the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. How one deals with a tragic situation in their life says a lot about their faith. When you and I are put under the pressure of of losing a loved one and maybe even dire sickness, do we blame God? Do we deflect and say, it's not my problem, that's God's problem. God did that. Or do we look at ourselves and say, did I deserve this? I want to give you a great illustration of two different people dealing with a very similar circumstance and doing Entirely, exactly opposite from one another. When you go to Job chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, you read, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Drop over to chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Job said, 
whatever God gives me, I can handle, though He slay me. Job would say, I have received good from God, should I not be willing also to receive some adversity? You see, Job kept his faith, his trust in God. What did Mrs. Job do? She said, just give up. Blame God. Curse God, she says, and die. Do you see two different attitudes about the same set of circumstances? And someone said, well, she wasn't suffering like Job. She had lost her children. She had lost her wealth. She was losing her breadwinner, Job. But she reacted much differently. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. You see, we can learn from tough circumstances, as David did, which forces me to deal with death. I'm going to tell you, there's some things that are unpleasant to me in this life, and I don't like to deal with them. I'd rather not discuss them. I'd rather not think about them. But I've got to be prepared for them. None of us want to become sick, but you've got to prepare for sickness. None of us want to go through the pangs of death, but we've got to prepare for it. The first thing you and I need to understand perfectly is that death is the result of sin. From the very beginning of time, from the very first sin... Death has been associated with it. You remember what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Satan said, that's not true. Guess who was telling the truth? God was. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And you saw it in the child of David and the suffering that it brought. The disciples had to deal with the impending death of the Lord. Now when we read that, I know for many of us, we may just read it and think, well, that's okay when he says don't be troubled. But you've got to remember, these people had spent the last two years of their life with him. They had become close And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What do you mean, Lord? You're going away? Yes. He's going to die in just a few hours from the time he spoke that. By the time you get to verse 28, you can tell that the disciples are not fully grasping all of this and there's 
an overmuch sorrow there. He said, you've heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father. If you fully appreciated what it means for me to die, it means I get a chance to go to be with the Father. A mature view of death from the Bible indicates that there's something positive on the other side. Or to use the words of Paul, far better. But Paul instructed regarding the loss of a Christian. And he put it like this. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep. He continues on, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we that are alive remain to the coming of the Lord, or remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Yes, we sorrow, but not like those who have no hope. Because we mentally know what's on the other side. Now, when you look at the child that dies, who is more innocent than a child? That child conceived by David and Bathsheba did absolutely nothing wrong. That child did not deserve the suffering that he went through. Matthew 18 and verse 3, Jesus said, I surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 14 of chapter 19, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Little children are pure, they're honest They don't have any sins. They can't commit sins. They don't know what they're doing. And you think about that child is in eternity, but it's in paradise. But we have to be reminded that death is not the end. I know for many of us in this life, we feel like I'm not going to see them anymore. I've got this great loss. John 5, 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hours coming which all that are in the tombs or the graves will hear his voice and come forth. They, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed Do you hear what David said? He shall not return to me. He's not going to come back where I am, but I can go to him. There's a phrase repeated several times in the Old Testament. And they were gathered to their fathers. 
going to be where they were at. David was able to see past the sorrow and have hope for a future reunion. That's the reason why David could rise up, wash off, change clothes, and go and worship God. Because he knew that there was a child on the other side waiting. And he knew that in order for him to enjoy that reunion, he had to be in a right relationship with God. This passage should bring great comfort to those seeking to spend eternity together and with God. I don't know about you, but I have some family members that I dearly love that have departed from this life. And there are some of these people I would love to see again. In fact, I have great hope and confidence of seeing them again. But it really all depends on where you're going. Here's the problem. Some people want to spend eternity with God and with their good forefathers, the faithful of their own family, but they're not living a life that will let them go to heaven. If you're not a Christian, I, I, I want to be plain. You don't get to go to heaven and live with the faithful of all the ages because without Christ, without being a member of His body and without being saved, you don't have that promise, you don't have that hope. But you can change that. Everything is prepared for you. There's garments waiting. There's a baptistry behind me that is filled with water. And it's a choice that you need to make. Because you believe in Christ, come forward. We'll, we'll baptize you this evening. If you're a Christian and you look at your life and you know right now I don't get to go to heaven like I am. Why would you wait? Why would you put that off? None of us know how quickly we'll enter eternity. And if you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.